The following podcast is from Doxa Church in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. For more information about Doxa Church, please visit us online at www.doxachurch.org. Good morning, church. All right, so uh, for the reading of God's Word, we're going to be in 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 12 through 19. If you're using the Bibles under the chair, it's on page 1016, or you can follow along on the screen behind me. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice in so far as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the Holy Spirit of God The Holy Spirit, glory, and the God rests upon you. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, What will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if the the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. This has been the reading of God's word. Good morning. My name is Brian Weiler, and I'm, going, uh, I'm a member here at Doxa Church, and today we're going to be diving into 1 Peter 4, 12 to 19. Uh, before we start, I'm just going to, let's pray. Uh, Father God, we are so thankful uh, for this church, for the way you're working in our lives. We do right now, we ask that your kingdom would come, your will would, would be done in this church, in our lives. Right now, we ask that you would give us ears to hear, give us eyes to see uh, your glory which we are heirs of. But we thank you for Christ. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So 1 Peter, the apostle Peter is writing this letter to a group of Christians who are in the midst of suffering and persecution. And this letter was intended to encourage them and to remind them of their future hope. And just to be honest, I'm a little scared to talk about this topic, and the topic is suffering. And part of me feels unqualified Um, I know some of you in this room are going through some very challenging circumstances right now, and some some of the things you've gone through are things that I can't even pretend to understand. I recognize that I still have a lot to learn when it comes to suffering and would benefit from listening to you and your stories of how God has sustained you, how he's cared for you, how he's carried you through your pain and hurt. One thing I've realized in my short life is that suffering, regardless of its depth and its width, can be used by God if we allow him. If we let him enter into our suffering, he can cause it to work out for good in our life and for his glory. Romans 8.28 clearly makes this point. And it says, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. Not some things, 
all things work together for good. Now, I'm only 36 years old, and I've lived long enough to experience some pretty uh, tough pain in my life, but I've also lived long enough to realize greater pain could be right around the corner. All you have to do is read the news. Heartbreaking and tragic stories are all around us. Uh, this past August, my wife Jen was bitten by a spider and I went into anaphylactic shock and she stopped breathing right in my arms. Uh, the paramedics rushed her to the hospital and she was put on a ventilator for several hours. The paramedics uh, saved her life that day and I'm so grateful to God for that. Uh, Jen was minutes, if not seconds, away from dying. And I'm telling you this because life is just crazy. You know, it can fill us with so much worry and anxiety. Unexpected pain can come out of nowhere and at any time. And this is why Jesus said himself, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. In other words, worry about today because tomorrow is gonna have a whole new set of trouble. The suffering you and I face can push us towards God, yet it also has the potential to turn our eyes away from God. The suffering you and I face can make us, can strengthen our faith, yet it also has the potential to make us question our faith. Suffering can plant seeds of wisdom inside of us, yet it also can leave us with deep roots of bitterness, anger, and unforgiveness. The suffering we go through can leave us with more questions than answers. Remember, the Apostle Peter is writing this letter to Christians who had been scattered, beaten, unjustly persecuted, and some of them killed. And many scholars believe 1 Peter was written at the end of AD 64. Well, in that same summer, AD 64, Rome burned down to the ground, and many people believe Caesar Nero started the fire. They believe he started the fire because he wanted to remodel, you know, and, uh, the, and update the architecture in Rome. The people revolted against Nero. And as a result, Nero blamed the Christians for the fire. And so now all the people took all of their anger and frustration out on the Christians. They were the scapegoat. You know, Nero put Christians on poles and would light them up as torches in his garden. It is in this context that the Apostle Peter writes verse 12. So listen to verse 12. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. And his main point here is this. Don't be surprised by suffering. As Christians, we should not be surprised by the suffering that enters our life. You notice that the ESV uses the word when. When it comes upon you. The Apostle Peter is trying to prepare his readers that suffering is inevitable. It's like he's saying to them, I know you are in the midst of suffering, but just to let you know, more is likely going to come. You know, my son Luke and my, uh, my daughter Bryn recently learned how to ride a bike without training wheels. And those of you who are parents who've helped your kids on that journey, you know what that means. A lot of falls, a lot of you know, just bruises, cuts. Um, one of the first things... I said to my kids before we even started, we took off the trainers, I looked at them right in the eyes, I said, listen, you're going to fall. You're going to fall. And then they looked at me like, yeah, I know, Dad, I'm gonna fall. And I'm like, I'm like no, I look at them in the eyes, I'm like, no, you're gonna fall, and at some point, you're gonna, you're gonna wanna quit. You're gonna wanna stop. When we learn to ride a bike without training wheels, the first thing you need to do is be prepared to fall. 
It's part of the growing process that gets you to where you want to be. First Peter here warns us to expect suffering. Like a good son or daughter, we would be wise to listen to our Heavenly Father regarding the suffering, suffering we are currently in and the suffering that awaits us tomorrow. Peter was trying to prepare his readers to live steadfast in the midst of their suffering. And my hope is that today, these same words will help us build a theological framework around our own personal suffering. And Jesus said, and Dale touched on this earlier, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Picking up our cross means we embrace suffering as being part of being a disciple of Christ. Well, let's be honest. We try to avoid suffering at all costs. I know I do. Work smart, not hard is the phrase we often like to say. It's a catchy phrase we often use in our professional world. But I think that's a phrase that has carried over into our spiritual life as well. Suffering is not easy. And when we suffer in our personal world, it sometimes makes us question God. It makes us question his love. It makes us question his purpose and his plan in our life. It makes us question whether or not God can be trusted. And if we are avoiding God, think about this, if we're avoiding God and not picking up our cross and following Christ, how in the world can we enter into someone else's suffering and be used by God to help encourage them the way they need to be encouraged and loved? Following Jesus means we embrace suffering. It means we don't avoid suffering and try to run from it. It means we prepare for it. It means we're not surprised by it. So how do we prepare for suffering? How do we prepare for How do we live in such a way to embrace suffering the way Peter is telling us to? Well, he tells us in the very next verse. Let's look at verse 13. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. I mean, this is profound stuff. This is profound. Peter is saying that you and I, we can rejoice in our suffering. Now, how, how is this possible? How is it possible to rejoice in our suffering? When tragedy strikes our life, how can we rejoice in the middle of it? This, this verse here points to two specific things, two things you and I need to do in order to rejoice in the middle of our suffering. Number one, we need to fix our eyes on Christ and his suffering on the cross. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings. It is not enough, it is not enough to simply say to yourself, God loves me. We need to reflect deeply on how he loved us. We need to reflect on the pain and the hurt Christ experienced on our behalf. We need to be reminded that we serve a God who understands pain. We serve a God who left heaven to suffer on our behalf. Do we have any right to expect better treatment from this world than what Jesus experienced? Do we have any right to expect better treatment from this world than what Jesus experienced? Number two, we need to fix our eyes on eternity. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. In the midst of our suffering, 
we need to remind ourselves of our future hope and our future glory with Christ. Listen to how, how to the, the Apostle Paul puts it in Romans 8, 17 and 18. Listen to this. And if children, then heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we, we may also be glorified with him. Verse 18, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed. You and I cannot rejoice in our suffering if our eyes are not on Christ and his and glory. We can rejoice in our suffering because of what happened and took place on Calvary, because of the future glory that awaits us. A powerful quote I heard a while back uh, from a, a pastor, Tim Keller, he said this, the way you live now, the way you live now is completely controlled by what you believe about your future. The way you live now is completely controlled by what you believe about your future. We cannot rejoice in our suffering or in the manner that God desires if our eyes are not fixed on Christ and not fixed on eternity. Think about this. When we are in the midst of suffering, if we are not rejoicing, what are we doing? If we're not rejoicing, what are we doing? We become apathetic, we become angry, we feel hopeless, we feel alone, we feel scared and anxious. We begin to believe lies about God that you know, say that God really doesn't know what he's doing. We begin to believe lies that tell us God doesn't love us. As followers of Christ, we have hope, a real and living hope. But here's the thing. In the midst of suffering, our eyes can easily drift off of Christ and onto our circumstances. It is so easy to do. And if you're a seasoned believer and you're struggling to keep your eyes on Christ in the midst of your suffering, you can fall into the trap to thinking you're all alone. You feel ashamed that you're in, and you can feel, easily feel ashamed that you're in some sort of spiritual funk. No one, I want you to hear this, no one is strong enough to get through their suffering on their own. All of us are weak and incapable of rejoicing in our suffering apart from Christ and without the truth of the gospel. It's why we need biblical community. It's why we need the body of Christ surrounding our life. We need to be reminded our suffering has purpose and meaning. The person who acknowledges their weakness and need is a person who has learned how to depend on God. The person who has acknowledges their weakness is a need, their, acknowledges their weakness and need is a person who has learned how to depend on God. If you're not a believer in Christ, I want to challenge you with a simple thought. What resource do you have to pull from that will get you through your suffering or the suffering that will come? And Philip Yancey is a Christian author who was asked to speak to the parents and students of Sandy Hook following that shooting. He wrote about this experience and mentioned he thought it was interesting that atheists are never asked to speak at moments of deep tragedy. 
Christian hope is what sets Christianity apart from every other religion and world system. When our hope is fixed on Christ's future glory, we will be able to rejoice in the midst of our suffering and we can live differently in the midst of it. Listen to verse 14. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. If you're insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed. If you're looked down on, forgotten, mocked because of your faith, Peter says you should think about that as a badge of honor. When we are treated poorly and respond with grace, the spirit of God is at work in us. You cannot love people without first cementing yourself in God's love for you. When the spirit of God comes upon you in difficult circumstances, you are not looking to get even. You're not looking for revenge. You're not putting God on trial. You are trusting Christ, and when you trust him, when you trust Christ, you are freed from the need to control your circumstances. You are freed to receive God's love and freed to be a blessing to others. See, regardless of the depth and the width of our suffering, God can use it if we allow him to. If we let him enter into our suffering, he can use it for our good and for his glory. I mean, look what's happening to believers around the world. According to Open Door USA, every month, this is every month, statistically speaking, 345 Christians are killed for their faith. 105 churches or Christian buildings are burned to the ground. 219 Christians are detained without trial, arrested, and sentenced to imprisonment. It's hard to imagine. All I know is that God is faithful, and he is at work in their suffering. And the same God who is at work in their suffering can be at work in our suffering, if we allow him. The tone of Peter's message begins to shift here in verse 15. He, he shifts into giving us a warning. Verse 15 says this, but let none of you suffer as a murderer, as a thief, or an evildoer, or as a meddler. You know, what is he saying here? He's saying, don't go out and bring suffering upon yourself. He's saying this, if you're gonna suffer, and you will, make sure you suffer for the right reasons. When we live in ways that are contrary to God's will, why are we surprised we suffer for it? I think it's interesting that the word meddler is thrown in, and you know, it's another word for its busybody, but this word meddler is thrown in with murderers and thieves. I'm not sure how many murderers or thieves we have in this room this morning, but I bet we have some meddlers. Instagram and Facebook has made us all professional meddlers. A meddler is someone who involves themselves into someone else's personal business in an unwarranted manner. Someone who tries to oversee something that is not theirs to oversee. You know, a gossiper, for example. We can bring trouble and suffering into our life when our eyes are fixed on someone or something else and not Christ. We invite relational tension into our life when we allow jealousy and envy to take our eyes off of Christ. You know, in the name of Jesus, 
we can inject ourselves into someone else's affairs, and yet we call it love. It's easy to attack and judge someone's behavior. It really is. However, it's hard to address their heart. You know why? Because in order to address their heart, we have to do the hard work of addressing our own heart first. The work of God must first flow in you before it can flow out of you. It's really easy to get caught up in everything that's happening around us and around the world. Our eyes can easily drift. This leads me to the next section, verse 16 and 17. Start in verse 16 here. Let, yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. For it is time for, for, it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the un ungodly and the sinner? So what does this mean? What does it mean that the judgment begins at the household of God? Think about this. If we, as children of God and heirs with Christ, are being sanctified and suffering now, if we as believers are having to walk through fire, what do you think is awaiting those outside of Christ? Peter's saying, listen, you and I barely got in. In fact, we didn't even get in. By God's grace and mercy, he pulled us into salvation. And if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Peter puts things into perspective and reminds us that eternity is in the balance. It is really easy to fight and try to get even with people when they wrong us. However, it's easier to love them when we remind ourselves that the gospel was freely preached to us and we remind ourselves of what will happen if somebody dies apart from the gospel. Verse 19 sums up everything in one simple statement. It says this, Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. The one who created the world and made you and me allows suffering to enter our life. Every day we are reminded, every day we're reminded that things are not the way they should be. This world is broken. Sin has destroyed everything. Yet in the midst of this broken world, we can live with hope and rejoice in the midst of our suffering. I'll never forget uh, years ago at lunch, I opened up to a friend about Jen and I's struggle with infertility. And this has been, at this point, it was five years. We went to so many doctor's appointments, had so many tests done, and, no, and they, nobody could figure out any, what was wrong. And they called it unexplained infertility. Well, this guy looked at me at the end of lunch, and he said, you probably have some unconfessed sin in your life, or you've done something to warrant this. And my mouth dropped. Lunch ended, we said goodbye. I wanted to say something else to him, though. You see, the truth is pain, hurt, loss, suffering, it is part of this broken world. But we serve a God who will use it for our good and for his glory. So why does God allow all this pain and suffering in the world? 
It is an honest question. It's the question that typically keeps most people from experiencing God's love for them. I think a better question to ask would be this. Why would Jesus innocently suffer for you and me? That is a better question. You and I do not deserve anything from God, yet he gave us everything in Christ. The why questions that we have will fade to the background only when we are looking at the beauty of the gospel. If we don't entrust our soul to God in the midst of our suffering, what are we trusting in? What is it you tend to rely on in moments of trouble? Are you trusting in your money and financial security? Are you relying on a person or thing instead of God? Are you numbing yourself with alcohol or some other form of substance? Do you find yourself binge-watching Netflix or you know, spending all your time on social media? Are you serving and trying to do good works to make yourself feel better or, try to, or somehow trying to think you're gonna earn God's love? God proved his faithfulness to us on the cross, and Jesus is the only resource you and I have to be able to rejoice in our suffering. Everything else we try to cling to will inevitably lead us to relying on ourselves and not God. See, the hardest thing, I think, is this. The hardest thing is not simply to get through the suffering that hits our life. The hardest thing is to continue to do good in the midst of our suffering. The hardest thing is to continue to do good in the midst of our suffering. Therefore, that those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. The temptation is to check out when we're suffering, to spiritually retreat, to stop serving. Now, I learned this firsthand. A few years ago, my wife and I uprooted our life here in Myrtle Beach and to be a part of a church in Maryland. Moving was a decision that we wrestled God on for a long time. We didn't want to leave Myrtle Beach but we decided to trust God, and I accepted a position at the church. And we had no idea God was going to lead us right into suffering. From the moment we arrived, we experienced darkness and spiritual warfare like no other time in our life. Our experience in Maryland hurt us more than we ever thought we could be hurt by those within the church. And those of you who have experienced what you kind of call church hurt, you know, it, you know it's a different kind of wound. Following God, and saying yes to him is never an easy thing, no matter what it is. But this, for the first time in, our, in our, my wife and I's life, it felt like God led us right into a trap, right into an ambush. The pain we experienced in Maryland was no joke. I went to counseling for over a year and struggled to rejoice in God for a long time. All I wanted to do was just check out. Praise God for Doxa and all of you. Many of you have cared and served for my family. I've been able to watch many of you do what verse 19 is talking about. I've watched you entrust your soul to a faithful creator, creator, and it's provided me encouragement. But most of all, you guys have challenged me to continue to do good in the midst of my suffering. People say that um, time heals. Time heals. I think in some regards that is true. However, one thing I know to be true is this, you and I cannot get time back. 
We cannot get time back. We can't make up for lost time. If you are currently in the midst of suffering, my hope would be that you would allow God to meet you in it and that you would let God use you through it. Don't waste your time investing in the kingdom of God. Life is way too short. Suffering and pain does not disqualify you from serving and loving people and it doesn't give you a pass to just check out. Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. In Christ, you and I can suffer while we serve, while, while we love, and care for the people around us. It's exactly what Christ did. It's, it's the model he left for us and the picture he gave us. I know I shared earlier that my twins just learned how to ride their bike without training wheels. And I think it's kind of funny that as adults, we don't learn how to ride our bike. You know, we, we don't forget how to ride our bike, but we often forget how much we need God. We need spiritual training wheels. I'm not sure if this is a good analogy or not, uh, but communion is like spiritual training wheels for me. Every week I take communion with all of you, I'm reminded of how much God has sacrificed on my behalf. I am prone to forget, I am prone to wander from that truth. Yet the beauty of communion is that together we remember Christ's broken body and the blood that was shed for us. Together we remember the suffering he endured, and it points to his future, his future glory, which we are heirs of. The bread and the cup remind us that rejoicing in our suffering is possible. In a moment, we're going to take communion. If, if you're not a believer in Christ, we ask that you would refrain from taking communion. If it's your first time here at Doxa, um, and you're going to take communion, we ask that you would proceed through the outer aisles. You come up, you take the bread, dip it into the juice, and return down the center aisle. Let me pray before we take communion. Father God, we are so grateful for your broken body and your blood that was spilled on our behalf. We thank you that we have a real and living hope. Lord, help us prepare, help us be prepared for the suffering that awaits us, the suffering that we're in, the suffering we will face. God, we thank you that we know that we don't suffer alone and that through you we can claim victory. Pray this in Christ's name, amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Doxa Church. We are so glad that you took the time to join us today. At Doxa, we exist to make disciples who joyfully worship Jesus with their whole lives. We invite you to join us Doxa Church meets at 10 a.m. every Sunday at River Oaks Elementary School. For more information about Doxa Church, please visit us online at www.doxachurch.org.